The thing I want more than anything else when I'm with somebody in a performance review is honesty. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know, to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Hey, welcome everyone. It's Ed Epley back for another edition of the Ed Epley Experience. And this is your chance to learn from other successful executives some proven practical ideas that will help you run a more sustainable and hopefully successful business. What we are talking about today is another one of our series on a specific topic. And this is another session, uh, time spent talking about those wonderful things we all love to do so much, performance reviews. The gentleman we're going to have speaking with us today is somebody I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. Why I thought he would be a good addition for us to listen to and hear his ideas is because I know he does the work to try to be a a highly effective leader and executive. I know him as somebody who cares deeply about the people that he manages and leads and wants to get the best from them. And I also know of somebody who feels like he's still not yet the best version of himself. Even as long as he's been doing management and leadership, I know that he's still trying to become better every day. So for that reason, for those reasons, I should say, I wanted him to, to share with you his experiences. So please help me welcome everyone listening, the partner in charge of the 415 Group's IT division, Mr. Dave Bessie. Dave, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks, Ed. Glad to have you with us. Dave, I know that performance reviews, performance appraisals has a wide ranging meaning to a lot of folks out there. Do you feel like you're an ex- expert at this or do you feel like you're struggling still as long as you've been doing performance reviews? No, I think I'm terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> it's been decades and I, you know, I'm still trying to find the right forms. I think the more you know, the more you know what you don't know. It just, you know, so no, I, I don't think there's anybody good at this. So why do you do them? You say you're not that good at it, and yet you feel like they're important. So explain to the audience that incongruity between where you feel you are in doing them and yet the importance of them. I think it's essential that the the person that's not in charge, right, the, the person that's doing the work, I, I think it's essential that they hear from the boss some honest review on how they're doing. I think everybody wants to do well at their job. And if, if they don't, they don't need to be there. You got a bigger problem anyway. They want to do well. But how do they know they're doing well unless the person who signs the check or signs off on their HR forms or whatever the size company, how will they know unless we tell them? Right. So we have to tell them or as best we can. <laughs> so do you when you sit down to do a performance review, are there certain specific outcomes that you would say need to happen for a performance review to be effective? Are there two or three general goals that you would have for any performance review? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I could say this, that the thing I want more than anything else when I'm, when I'm with somebody in a performance review is honesty. And that's not a one-way street. The trick is, in an, for me, in a performance appraisal, is just breaking down the barriers so that you can have an honest conversation to adults about how things are going. And I think that's incredibly hard. So if there was one thing, I would say it's honesty, but honest right behind that, I would probably have to say on the heels of that is accuracy, because I think it's nearly impossible to give a good review 
the way that the way most of us do them. So if if I hear you correctly, David, the honesty and accuracy are the are the two things you want from it. Is is that something that you knew that you wanted from performance reviews when you started down this road, or is that something over time you came to realize? Unless I get these two things done, it doesn't really matter whatever whatever else we talk about. No, I learned it because when I first started giving uh, reviews, probably like everybody else, I had no coaching. I was just thrown into it, and I had a form that was you know one through five attitude, performance, you know all the cliches that are horrible, and you're filling them out on one to five. You're ranking somebody's entire year's performance on a scale of one to five on five categories. Yep. Even know we're coming. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I began to think this is kind of clunky. This doesn't work. And so over time, I've tried to work my way into just getting a position where I can be honest with somebody, get them on his back, forget what the form says. So I'm assuming a lot of that prep work to create that environment where the conversations are going to be authentic and honest with each other happens before you ever get into the the meeting for performance discussion. It, it does. But, you, you know, I, I'm a systems guy. You know that it does. Uh, there's a couple of things, though, that I've over the last, honestly, two or three years have adapted to switch how I do it, to try again to get to that honest conversation. There's a certain systems I, I follow pretty religiously now in, in the meeting itself. But over time, you, you kind of know, like, I, honestly, I have I have over the years changed forms probably 10 times because I was never happy with the form. And then you try to write one yourself and then you realize how bad that form is. Then you start Googling and you find more forms that look good and they're bad too. <laughs> so, so what's your advice to the audience about forms? Should they try to pick one up from somebody else or should they try to create their own? You know, if you've clearly defined your objectives and what the uh, job entails, you already have your form, you know, uh, but most of us haven't done that. You know, most of us have everybody, including ourselves, kind of self-guiding along the way. We've gone to... You know, the three questions, we've gone to that over the last three or four years organizationally. Start, stop, and keep. That's our form now. So for for those not familiar, elaborate a little more specifically about what those three questions are. Sure. A a lot of times when you're in organizational meetings and all, you're not really sure which way to head or how you're doing or whatever. Sometimes some good clarifying questions are what things should we start doing, what things should we stop doing, and what things should we keep doing. And, uh, And we've moved to start, stop, and keep. And we'll ask the employee uh, the same things to think about what do they think they should start, stop, and keep. And it gives us good conversation points to talk with them about openly and honestly. That's where I currently am. Honestly, Ed, talk to me three years from now, and I probably moved on to something else. I don't know. But uh, I've settled on that for a while. So do you ask people then to evaluate themselves in each three of those areas, and then you do the same for them, and then you kind of compare what which each, each of you has written? It is. That's the technique. The idea behind it. Now, I work in, uh, we, we've just moved to DISC internally as well. And because we're IT department, I've got a lot of high S's and high C's. And one of the characteristics of the high S's and high C's, they don't really like surprises. Right. They like to think about it. So if they know what's coming, you might have a better better conversation. So giving them a heads up on what's coming, I, I, especially in the high S's and high C's, I, I think is a strategically good move for me. That may not be as good if you're in a sales environment, a lot of high eyes or things like that. But my my opening techniques that I'm doing now that I think I'm getting more honest conversations, and I say that with you know fingers crossed, is that we always we always make sure everyone understands it's the Vegas rules. 
You know, when they come in and sit down, it's Vegas rules. Whatever is, you know, happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, the rule that whatever mm-hmm. said in this room stays in this room and that you have as much honesty to tell me I'm doing a bad job as I have the honesty to give you feedback. And I look for that contract, that upfront contract that they'll be honest with me and I'll be honest with them. It's amazing what you can tell somebody if you get their permission. And then we go through the start, stop, keeps. But the number one thing that system I'm referring to is I, we always start off with Vegas rules. I love that. I, I, and, and making sure they understand that this is a, it's meant to help. It's meant to yeah. align, get, get on the same page about how each of you views performance. How often do your people convince you that what you're seeing or experiencing may not be as accurate as what they're perceiving they're doing, good or bad? Do they ever, do they ever persuade you that they're doing maybe a better job than, than you might think they are? Yeah, I've had that happen a couple of times. But where I'm at now, honestly, Ed, is I, the people I'm reviewing now are higher up in the leadership team. Right. There's a lot more clarity and there's a lot more synergy with them now. Um, so there's r- rarely any surprises in the reviews. You know, several years ago when, when I was doing more line employees, yeah, I've had several times where they disagreed with me. So, so if you go in and you, you, know, you have that upfront contract of Vegas rules, and then you ask them, how do you think they're doing? Because they probably have a pretty good idea how they're doing already. Right. I agree. Coming in to ask me how I think they're doing can let things slip through the cracks because they're like, well, I hope he doesn't know about this. I hope he doesn't know about that. Right. But if you ask them how they're doing, um, and then if you come back and say, I agree, we're doing, you know, well, then you've got a pretty good harmony to start the conversation. But if they come back and say, I think I'm doing well, and you think, well, I'm not, you're, you're not. Well, now you have those disconnects that you have conversation points to deal with during the meeting. So if they come back and say, I disagree, I think I'm doing really well. Okay, well, how do you think that? So if I work for you, how many conversations about my performance will precede an annual performance conversation? Well, formally, it depends on which department you're in. Okay. One department that's uh, more of a call center, if you will, or help desk. They have they have monthly reviews with their leader. In the other ones, there's either quarterlies or just annuals. It all depends on who. But that's a formalized sit down. Yeah, but you said there's few, few if any surprises. So I'm guessing in your direct reports, there's there's multiple conversations. This is not a. Oh it's not once a year kind of event that you're talking about no how chance. well I'm doing. Okay. Yeah. Our, our team meetings, which are weekly, and then we have one-on-ones. I have one-on-ones with those of my direct reports. We don't wait for a year to address anything. So there's a, there's a whole lot of informal. What, what was it? Blanchard one minute, yeah. one minute manager. Yeah. yeah right. the, the one minute, you know, performance appraisal, one minute review. Those happen pretty regularly. Okay. So there's frequent conversations about performance that lead up to this annual discussion. And I'm going to self-appraise as well as you're going to appraise me. And we're going to talk about where there's alignment or any misalignment. Yeah, That seems pretty normal and, and consistent with what I hear that most organizations who seem to be doing this above average or at least doing it as well, well enough that they want to keep doing it would typically involve those things that you just described. Um, One thing I would tell the audience in creating clear expectations about what the job should produce in terms of results, I've come to believe that if, if we were going to fire someone and we were going to not be liable for doing that poorly, we would have to document the outcomes that this person should have been producing that 
they aren't producing. Hence, we're going to have to part company with them. So if you will, if you'll do that work for any person that's working for you and identify what would they not be doing that would cause you to fire them, that's probably something both you and the other person ought to do on the front end when they start working for you, as opposed to getting to that point when you want to part company. I think that really boils down the essence of any person's job. So if you think about why you would typically fire somebody for performance issues other than attitude or, you know, bad, bad behavior, then it probably is because they're not delivering certain results. And those can be identified when you say what would what would get them fired if they didn't deliver. So I've probably said this in your company sometime previously, David, that the worst skill in all managing university is their ability to set expectations. In your work in IT consulting or managed service provider, is it all about service level agreements? Is it SLAs that drive my attention and focus for the most part in your organization? I'm, I'm thinking service level agreements make it simpler to quantify whether somebody's doing their job or not. Uh, no, we're the thing that we are most concerned with is core values, even above that. Explain. Um, so, so our you know company culture, yeah. And, and Ed, you've been very much helpful with this. This is part of your contribution to us. Is the uh, is company culture? You know, how do we behave to get to our results? And I believe every time that you let somebody go, you should be able to tie that back to some core value they're violating. And so it isn't about a metric of how many times did you answer the phone or how many PCs did you fix, but you can always train that. You can always improve that. You can always modify that. But if they're not, you know, whatever your core values are, and they have to be legit core values, not aspirational things. They have to be legit on what you currently, who you currently are. Right. If they fit in the culture, you can find a place for them to be productive and successful. But if you have to let them go, it's core value. Uh, that's somewhere and if unless there's something way outside the bounds you, right you know right I mean? but there's always exceptions right. but but the yeah, best there, there's always right but you know and, and a couple of times we've had meetings where we've gone through that you know somebody's not performing well and my question will always be to the their direct report what core value are they violating and then it really makes you hone in on what skill you know is it skill related that we need to train or are we pushing a, you know, I hate to use cliches, square peg, round hole stuff. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, frankly, first of all, I'm excited to hear you say that core values will trump even, you know, the metric results in, in terms of importance that, that you're paying that much attention to it. I think a lot of us would like to, to believe that we would, would do that in, in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. But I think we tend to talk more about, you know, the failure to deliver a hard number than we do about somebody's matching up or modeling the core behaviors. Maybe, David, that speaks to the fact that a lot of organizations, if they put up their core values or behaviors, they're not their true ones. They're not the right ones. I don't think so. I think most organizations have core values slapped up on a board somewhere and they can't quote them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, they, you know, if you, I, I think if you went to a lot of organizations and, and picked a line employee and said, hey, by the way, what's your core values? I bet they have no idea. Kind of like, you know, mission statement, same thing. They, they know they should have it. The CEO or knows they should have it. They don't want to look bad to their buddies at the uh, at their Vistage meeting or whatever. So they have it, but they don't live by it or hire by it. Yeah. And, yeah. and we hire by core values and we will let go by core values. Metrics 
I'm not sure the last time somebody was core value, okay, but metrics bad, and we let them go. I don't know that that's happened for years. Sorry. And, you know, not just saying it, but, you know, yeah. part of the, our discussions, you had an impact on that. Well, you're making me think that to really do great performance appraisal and evaluation, a prerequisite is to have great clarity about what your core behaviors or values really are. And if I don't have those, I probably will default to talking about metrics more than I would about how well they're living or not living the values or behaviors that we say are crucial. I appreciate you pointing that out to me. That's good stuff. Thank you. When most managers struggle in doing performance conversations, do you think it's that they don't have objectivity? They don't have clear line of sight to what's working or not working? Or do you think that they're more concerned about having uncomfortable conversations that 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 we're going to have to talk you know, when you, we talk about authentic or honest conversations that most people are going to be uncomfortable as the boss having to bring these topics up? Which which do you think is more the, the cause there? Oh, absolutely. The latter. We nobody likes conflict, it seems like, you know, I, I absolutely think that's what it is, is it is really uncomfortable to look somebody in the eye and tell them they're not doing well or you're, you're not happy with their performance. You, you know, one of the things that happens all the time in performance appraisals is everybody kind of rounds up. Oh, you know, yeah. They, uh, oh, yeah. You know, they, they'll get the, the benefit. You know, they, behind their backs, they're, they're, you know, they're slashing and, you know, about all the – when they get in the room, all of a sudden they turn into positivity and <laughs> we can get better and I know you can and uh, here's what we want to work on and all those phrases because they don't want to have those uncomfortable comp- – I don't like to have them. Nobody likes to have them. You know, unless you're out just looking for conflicts, you know, you don't want to be that person. So I totally agree with you. That's avoiding the conflict. You know, you and I were recently together with your team and we did the activity where you give feedback to each person about what they do that helps or hurts the team. Uh, How much do you feel was left unsaid in that round of effort? How far did you think? (laughs) Did we get to to 50% or 60% or 100% of what others needed to hear from their their peers around the table? No, you didn't get to 100. That's a, you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to gauge that, Ed. That's a great question, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't core honesty going on there. I would say, I don't know, um, maybe 50%. I don't know how to gauge that, Ed, but yeah, no, there was more that could have been said, yeah. but, yeah. you know, again, first time through. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, Ed, because of the, that conversation tomorrow, our Thursday's team lead meeting, I warned everybody we got to come early because we're working on some stuff that you assigned <laughs> up, right? So we're starting early, but I said, oh, by the way, you have to come with something negative to say to somebody in the room, and this is the format we have to follow because we've got to practice this. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, we're actually working on that. For the uninitiated, to be clear here, we're not just being negative, be negative. What we're really trying to identify and share with somebody is something that they're doing that's getting in the way of the team performing at the level that it could or should. So it's not it's not being negative for negative sake. It's helping helping each of us to have better line of sight to what we do that either helps or hurts the performance of the team. And it's a muscle that most teams have not developed. It is a muscle that is very weak in the average team that they don't know how to do this and they default to not doing it at all. 
And if they do it at all, they tend to do it in private rather than being able to do it publicly, where we all get the benefit of hearing what each of us is sharing with the other. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're going to keep practicing, David. That, that's good. You know, I, I, I know one of your things that you've said that really I love is that the best reviews happen when the person being reviewed isn't in the room. So I think I know what that means, but elaborate for me and the audience, if you will, about what that what that means for you. Gosh, uh, I said that to you. I, yeah. <laughs> I've heard you say that. <laughs> so the room, I mean, so the, the environment's intimidating and it's formal and the guard is up. The best reviews will happen when you're just out walking around with somebody, you have a chance to talk to them. Boy, how do I say it? Like my, I've learned as a, being a dad, I got two boys now that are, you know, uh, moved out. But I learned, I, I got this off of a parenting class one time and I adopted it. It worked out great. Is that if you want to have a difficult conversation with your son, you're better off doing it while you're working on the car, while you're washing the car, while you're throwing frisbees or ball in the backyard, playing golf. If you're active and doing something somehow there's a, there's an energy there. And, you know, but when you sit down with somebody across the desk, up go the guards and up go the uh, uncomfortableness. And, and now they're waiting and there's anticipation, there's nerves. And, and so you're not going to get much clear, you know, they won't, they'll be hearing something you said and they'll be focusing and backtracking on something you said before. And they missed what you tried to say. And, but if you're just walking around with them in the bathroom or you're going to the cafeteria or you're, you walk, Oh, Hey, I saw this happen. We don't really do it that way. Don't forget. You want to do it like this. You know, don't let that, you know, don't let that get in your way, but don't forget something like that. That's an informal scenario. The guard's down and then the communication's better. That, that's what I was meaning. Okay. Is that what you thought of that? Yeah, I, that, I, that, I, that point is in the right direction. So, so when we're not in the room as such doing this, when we're outside of the room, maybe we can have a more genuine conversation than we otherwise would. That's what I think Absolutely. you're saying. Okay, good. Yeah. Now, how about how much do you tie compensation into the conversation about, while you're also doing performance conversations? Uh, we never do. The performance reviews are never tied to comp. We never give out what raises. Now, we give out raises at the end of the year, but they'll find out the comp weeks, either before or after the, the performance review. They're not tied to it, which probably is terrible by a whole bunch of people in their books. But I, you know, the recency bias, for lack of a better term, you know, I think is real and one of the huge mistakes we as managers make. And so I try not to put those two together. So we don't. Have you done it both ways? I have. Many, many years of my uh, career, we've done, done them together. Here's your review. Here's your raise. So why, what, what did you learn doing it that way that caused you to believe they should be separate? Well, practically speaking, if they know that's what's coming, the only thing that's on their mind is how much raise am I getting? And so you don't get to talk to them about what's really going on. They don't focus on what's the real issue. Right. So if they're disjointed, you know, you can still lower their raise because they didn't perform well, but that's a different conversation. So I think it helps with communication. Very good. I, I, I'm of the same opinion personally. I'm, I'm biased towards not discussing comp and development of the person or performance reviews in the same conversations. I think they're best done separately for the very reasons that, that you've described. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been really helpful for me and, and you taught me something and, and made me rethink the whole idea about the importance of core behaviors and values being absolutely rock solid. And that gives us more to have conversations with, especially when we think about why people are failing 
it, it probably is indicative of something lacking in the core behavior or value. And then I think the other thing about doing more of these conversations outside the room, getting away from the some of the formal conversations to, to have more honest conversations, that's helpful. If I ask you to say there's one thing and one thing only that a manager or an executive should do to be doing a better job at their performance reviews, what's that one thing, David, that you'd recommend to the audience? Boy, one thing. Yeah, huh? yeah. If, if, if they're only going to do one thing better or different, what would that be? I would say it would have to be probably if they want to do better performance reviews would be to strive for as honest a communication back from the employee as given during that interview or during that performance appraisal. Beautiful. Because if it's a one-way conversation, you have no idea if you, if you had good communication. You, you need to hear back from them if they agree, not agree, and they need to be feel safe to say it. So I, I think it would have to be some kind of an honest two-way communication. Perfect. Really appreciate that. David Bessie, he is the partner in charge of the 415 Group's IT division. If people have questions for you about what they are doing and want to have further conversation, what's the best way for them to reach you, Dave? Well, first of all, I wonder what kind of a judgment they have. (laughs) uh, They must be desperate. But if you're really desperate, I'd happily entertain an email anytime because I check my email all the time. It's uh, first initial, last name, D-B-E-S-S-E at 415group.com. That's the numbers, 415group.com. And while I have everybody's attention, basically up on my website, I have an uh, opinion that I'm asking people to solicit about how they're approaching return to work. I'm interested in how you and your organization are approaching the return to work now that COVID is hopefully pretty much behind us. What are your plans? Are you going hybrid? Are you going asking people to come back in or completely going remote? So if you'll take that one minute survey on my website, you'll find it at the top, the epligroup.com and let me know how your company is planning to return to work. And I'll share the results of what I'm getting from listeners in a future uh, podcast in the not too distant future. So thank you for our audience in doing that. But more importantly, thank you, Dave, for being our guest today on the Ed Epley experience. You certainly have enlightened me and I'm sure you enlightened the audience. Ed, thanks for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 